Welcome to the Gift of Wealth podcast series. If you've ever wanted to take a substantial step forward in your life, then you've found the right show. Together, we'll go through health, wealth, relationships, business, and spirituality. We connect to the heart of what matters most, which of course is your heart. Heart is the driving force behind mindset. Your mindset is the driving force behind actions, and your actions define your results. The Gift of Wealth podcast with your hosts, Sunil and Geeta Popat. Impacting hearts live in three, two. Susanna, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast this morning. The Gift of Wealth podcast, which has just recently started, and it's all about creating wealth, protecting wealth, and wealth comes in so many forms. You know, we're talking about health, we're talking about wealth in life and financial wealth as well. And... Mm. Susanna, welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so grateful that you've joined us today. And I know that uh, you are such a giver in the community and you want to help as many people as you can. So thank you for taking the time this morning. And I know you've just recently come out from uh, an operation. So, you know, even to give your time after that, I am so grateful. Very nice um, to be here. And, and nice to be here connecting with you isn't it really nice to be getting to know more people and getting to know old friends and new friends so but thank you for asking me really appreciate it no you're welcome and the thing is that i've been interested in creating wealth since i was about 12 13 as far back as i can remember and now that we're sort of introducing podcasts i have learned so much in a very short amount of time from people like yourself who have created a lot of wealth and are so willing to share it's interesting, isn't it? Because they become, these guests of yours, they become your peer group. Yes. And it becomes, oh, this is quite a normal thing to do rather than maybe an unusual thing to do. Yes, absolutely. Which I think is quite nice. Yeah. For, the, for our listeners who may have not met you or want a refresher of your background, could you sort of tell me about your childhood a little bit, maybe before I know you've got a big story around the dining room table, which appeared to be a turning point. But what was your career before that? I've always been stubborn. (laughs) My mum is so sweet. I had a little tiny op last week, which it still wipes you out because it was a general anaesthetic. And my mum is so cute. She's been texting me and calling me three times a day, every day to make sure I'm okay. So I actually just had to text her and go, mum, I'm really sorry I'm doing a podcast, which is just... I'm so glad of, you know, I'm a grown woman with two grown children. And I'm like, I'm so glad my mum is calling me three times a day. Yeah, they're lovely. Mums are so great, aren't they? Mums are needed, aren't they, in moments, yeah. Although I have an English accent and my parents are English, I grew up in Glasgow uh, um, and my parents had gone there. They're both kind of academics. My dad uh, was a maths professor, retired at the age of 52, the power of compound interest, because, of course, he was a mathematician, wasn't he? Mm. And then my mum was a French teacher. We had to persuade her to retire. But she also taught young enterprise, which is is possibly taught throughout the schools in the UK, but certainly was taught in Scotland. So even though they're academics, they're independent thinkers, and they, they sometimes go against the... The mould, as in, I've always watched them think independently and not be too worried about what people thought about them, but put sort of decency and truthfulness and, you know, and kind of strong values ahead of being part of the pack. And I always find that quite interesting. Of course, when you're a teenager, you find that massively embarrassing. (laughs) But but now you're like, oh, I really like your spirits. Yeah. Um, And and, uh, I... 
my sister tell this story, which I've forgotten about. So I, I like competing, but I like competing, the kind of competing that says, see you, raise you. So sooner than then, you know, see you, mm-hmm. raise you, let me beat you and then let you see what I've done, beat me. And then I'll see what you've done and I'll try and beat you. And it's like a fun game yeah. to like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. Cause if you can do it, I can do it and I'm going to nail it. And then I'll gladly share with you what I did. Mm-hmm. You nail it. And then I'm chasing after your ankles, <laughs> you know, we're gone higher. So I've always had that enjoyable mentality of competing rather than trying to put people down competing. Yeah. And I think our industry generally because of its structure, property investing industry, none of us are going to take the market share. You, you know, none of us own a uh, 33% of the houses in Britain, yeah. you know, not even councils do. So, so structurally as an industry, it kind of aligns with that kind of mentality of competition mm-hmm. that we are better off sharing knowledge and information and then being inspired by the other person to try and you know step up your game than keeping all the knowledge to ourselves. But yeah, when I was 10, my sister tells a story that I joined gymnastics a bit late and I decided to be the champion, this little 10-year-old skinny little girl. And we went to my grandmother's and, you know, my sister's quite chilled. She's enjoying herself and I'm training like twice a day, every day. And of course I became the little club champion. So I think I've always had that thing inside me that says, I want to make something happen and even a little cute 10 year old, I'm like, you know, I got through two training sessions a day at grandma's house. So I think part of it is nature and then part of it is circumstance as well, isn't it? It is, yes, yeah. But I, I'm, it's lovely to hear you say, you know, sort of see you and raise you and beat you. And so yeah. that's such an inspiration that, you know, it's helping each other. Uh, and I totally agree that, you know, the property industry allows us to do that, doesn't it? Yeah. By and, and by and large, most members abide by that. I think partly because property can be quite a positive industry to be in because it's the kind of industry that people go into when they feel they can make their own way in the world, they're in charge of their own destiny. Mm. So by and large, and there are some naughties as well, you know, I wouldn't name them. It's not my style, but there are. So people better be careful. Mm. But by and large, it, it invites a kind of person that feels that they can create and develop their own future and often that person is quite uh, energetic or quite go for it and, and interested in growth. So, so it kind of attracts like-minded people with a couple of exceptions, you know, because there are some gullible people, you know, where you think, oh, sweetie, you've got to get out of this industry. You know, you, you, this is too dangerous for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've always been driven by the sounds of it to do something. Well, apparently Mm. said my sister but I think so actually I've just always wanted to be really good at anything I did Mm. and then competition makes me smile you know it's like oh man Sunil if you had like if you were doing something that was interesting I'd be like tell me all about it and then I'm like and then and then I'd be like woohoo guess what I did I've got to tell you all about it you know so that we can both rise up yes it's absolutely brilliant to hear that you know it's not about putting people down it's all about you know helping each other and giving a hand up and so from those early days you were very driven to do something with your life and whatever you did you put your best at so and then so then you started a career in in sort of kind of (laughs) (laughs) I I went against the grain I had children quite early in life so I had my first child when I was 22 Mm -hmm. which in this day and age is quite early you know two generations ago would be fairly normal social standards but now I was definitely the youngest woman on the maternity ward I mean there are lots younger mothers of course there are so I didn't 
I, I, you know, I'd done the classic, you know, qualified, got a degree, all of that stuff, but I really couldn't, couldn't see that corporate life, which I probably wasn't fit for anyway, because <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit too independent, but that corporate life was never going to fit with family life. So, so sort of circumstances meant that I immediately jumped into starting a small business and I started a fair trade business before it was kind of trendy to do so. Cause I believed in the, although I'm, I giggle at myself now, I was trying to save the world selling, you know, packets of Guatemala worry dolls, you know, still yeah. consumerism mm. and, and nice chocolate and nice coffee. So I, I'd worked in cooperatives and whole food places and I started a fair trade business, which started as on a craft table, you know, with a painted foldy outy mm-hmm. tables that yeah, you get from yeah. being mm-hmm. for $9.99. And then um, I grew it with quite a lot of hard work, but it just meant I could be working from home with the children. Mm. And it grew to five shops in Scotland. Wow. And I was very, very grateful for the help from Prince's Trust. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of respect for Prince Charles because of the practical programs he puts into place. Mm. And what Prince's Trust does is it takes young people who really have a need. Mm. You, you know, they're relatively vulnerable. And being a young mum, you are. Yeah. You know, and, and they match you with volunteers who are good quality. So Princess Trust matched me with a bank manager, mm-hmm. Douglas, matched me with an accountant, Archie, matched me with a gym, sorry, a, a business advisor, Jim. Now, this is over 20 years ago. This is like 25 years ago, guys. Mm. And, and then later on matched me with the guy who ran uh, Happet, which had like 70 odd shops or something and, wow. a, and a, a third world, a Sri Lankan manufacturing arm. So, you know, this guy knew everything and, yeah. and I had only five shops. So he was a mentor hmm. and he was amazing. Hmm. So I really saw from the beginning how getting knowledge and experience into your business and then you put the sweat equity really, really can help because you don't have a clue when you're starting a business, do you? No. So would you say that was one of your success principles to get the right knowledge and put the effort in because people think, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. From the beginning. And then my dad years later came on to give me a lot of assistance for about a year and a half. And he was brilliant uh, at helping sort of do the back end of the business while I went out and did the front end. Mm. But I do, I've always been a big believer on getting knowledge. I'm a huge reader for the first eight years of, of being in property as an investor. I had a mentor, Vanish Patel, who's brain size of the planet. He's behind a lot of successful property investors. He's very quiet about it. Mm-hmm. So his name is Vanish Patel for anyone who wants to look him up. And I've always found that getting the knowledge and getting some high quality training that you then really put into place. So getting coached, mm-hmm. you know, it's like going back to being a gymnast. Yeah. You need a coach who's further on than you that understands what it's like to be trained, can give you the coaching cues, and then you can move yourself forward. Mm. Yeah. So that's amazing that, you know, from a very early start that you started getting people of influence around you. Well, I think there is luck, but you've also put the effort in it, you know, and you've always wanted to do well. And that that really, that really shows. So I'm really interested about the kitchen table and and what happened there, because that's, that's part of your story that, you know, that has changed your life, I believe. Yes, it has. So I did the, the fair trade business for seven years and mm-hmm. it was it was pretty successful. It wasn't like sort of, you know, multi-million pounds successful, but it was a successful living. But the only way to grow it was going to be more sweat equity. It wasn't, and really the question was, is this sensible? You know, you're already working very hard. 
So I then thought I'd go and I did four jobs because I wanted my corners rubbed off. You know, the classic thing of you don't know what you don't know. It's a quote attributed to Donald Rumsfeld. Mm -hmm. And and after that, I started in property. So I always knew, I always said to myself, I'm only ever going to have four jobs maximum. Mm -hmm. Each of them were kind of average two and a half, three years each. So hopefully I contributed strongly to the, the employers, but also... I didn't stay to get bored either. No. And I learned a lot of skills from those jobs. They're quite decent level jobs, you know, mm. so quite a lot of pressure, but quite a lot of skilled people I was working alongside. And then I started a property business. My intention was only to buy some houses to make sure my children and I were safe. They were 10 and 12 by that point. Right. So it was just for me, my little ones for safety. So I wasn't particularly interested in cash. I was much more interested in security and bricks and mortar and safety and security in long term, mm. you know, um, and possibly pensions. I, I'd seen the chap fall over the yacht and uh, his company pension go down with with him. And I thought, I don't think I, I don't think I trust the principle of, of spending 40 years giving money to someone else and expecting it to come back. Yeah. <laughs> where, where there's muck, there's brass, yeah. or where there's br- the brass, there's muck. And somebody might nab that. So I'm definitely not going to rely on that. No. So, I, I mean, the principle of it is sort of theoretically beautiful, but practically there's too many crooks, isn't there? So... Yes, there's been a bad in every industry, isn't there? So yeah, there is, and and I thought I'm I'm not going to make that my own option because then that leaves me with no other options at a retirement age, and that's just uncool. Mm. So started in property. My only intention was to buy houses with buy houses, refinance them, uh, pull them, or put all my money cash out and but go again because I had sixty thousand pounds which I'd, I'd flip three family homes, one after the other, lived in them, turned them up, flipped them to, to be able to get that, that little bit of money, which is a lot of money, but a little bit of money, but a lot of money. And then within a few months of me starting, the government changed the rules, which is why I'm always pretty relaxed about when the government changes the rules. Even if they're very unfair, you still just have to roll with the punches. The government changed, or, or their rules were changed because the recession happened, so we couldn't do same-day remortgage. Oh, yeah. So my intention to go fast, buy a property portfolio, and then chill out stopped. Mm-hmm. So then I had to either go slow, which doesn't fit with who I am, no. or what I wanted to do, or bring in the resource of money. So I, I raised 600 grand in 14 weeks, wow. bought seven houses, and then jumped out my day job. And then started a packaging business to keep the cash flow coming in, which then did a lot of joint venture flips and also a lot of deal packaging. We did over 200 deals in four and a half years. We sourced 45 million quid's worth of property and agreed purchase price of 30 million um, before refurb and fees. So kind of went for it, Mm. as you might imagine. Amazing. So what, what, I mean, your reason for getting into property was to create security mainly. Yes, because there was one parent, not two. There wasn't a plan B. Now, I'm close to my parents, as you can tell, because my mum's tried to phone me during today's podcast to see how I am feeling about the op. But I still felt that, you know, if anything had happened to me, what would happen to my children? Even though obviously my family would step in, I still felt it was my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I was just really conscious that I had this sort of a parental responsibility to make sure these beautiful, soft little children were safe. Hmm. So property was your vehicle to creating wealth? Yes, can you, yes, very much so. Can you remember very when that sort of came, came to you and said, yes, I'm going to do property because was it something that you sort of 
uh, saw other people doing or was it something that you just felt that this is the right thing to do or you've always wanted to be in property? Well, I think like probably half of Britain or maybe more than half of Britain, I used to watch some of those property shows, you know, the Sarah Beanies and the uh, Grand Designs and the creativity of it impressed me first, you know, that you could take something knackered and then do it. So first it was that. And then I, uh, and I love creativity. I'm quite a visually impacted person. So I, I don't know if this resonates with anybody else, but I have to have a tidy desk in a tidy house before I can work. You know, I'm got, I can't work in mess. I've got to have things organized. I, I like things to look beautiful because it, 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 it kind of, I don't know, it just does something for my heart. Yes. You know, I love colors. I love design. I, you know, just it, some of us are built that way and some of us are not. I am. Mm. So I started off um, buying old family homes that were so knackered. And because I was head of household, I couldn't go out. Well, sorry, I could. I didn't want to go out. My children, you know, they go to bed at seven o'clock because they're only little. You give them a bath, you put them in their pajamas. And then I'm not a massive TV girl because it feels like a bit of a waste so then what do you do <laughs> you <know>? Great <laughs> yeah. yeah you you renovate your house at night time because yeah. what else are you gonna do yeah. you know so so what i'd done was i created three very beautiful houses out of three totally knackered houses you know and, and made them really unique and over time i'd appreciated that you know i was doubling the value of these houses every two years and then selling them mm-hmm. and you kind of go oh look at that gosh, and it happened again. Oh, golly, it happened again. And people are fighting to buy it. Interesting. So it started from a creative point of view and a kind of a, a nesting point of view. And then it, and then I started do, reading because there are some great books out there. And then you thought, oh, well, this could be good. Because, I mean, who amongst us knows people for whom owning, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 houses is a completely everyday normal endeavor. Hmm. Like I know loads of people now, but I didn't then. So I'd never met anybody who was a multimillionaire. I'd never met anybody who owned loads of houses. It was outside of my understanding of what could be possible. Hmm. And then it wasn't. (laughs) Yes. But then you got the bug. Then I got the bug. The intention, the the cute business plan, which I wrote on the back of a very badly written but still inspiring book, was to buy ten house, to twenty houses at a hundred grand each. And when I wrote that down, I thought I will never be able to achieve that. I mean, that's just beyond anything that is possible. Mm. And by the time I jumped up my day job, I'd actually only bought seven houses, but my portfolio at that point was worth one point eight million with seven houses. Wow! And you can like. Oh, looks like this is going to happen then. Yeah. You know, because you're already almost at your goal of the value, Mm. not the number of houses. So I've never been interested in how many houses people own because that doesn't matter. It's about what's the asset value, what's the yield, what's the profit, and what's the equity that you own. Mm. That's what's important. Yes. And I think that's so true because people do get, I suppose, hung up on the number of properties that people have, but it depends if they're in in the north of the country or the south or the west, et cetera, uh, yeah. to the actual value, uh, you know, people can have, a, like you've just said, a number of properties and it could be valued and, a lot more. Yeah, and profitability, you know, how much money is coming in after tax at the end of each month and the end of each year, you know, that's really what's important in the medium term. And then what's your, for me, everyone's different. Some people teach leverage, I don't. Mm. I'm old school. 
I like businesses that are beholden to no one. So ultimate, so I have a number of properties already paid off and I have a list of properties and the dates I'm going to pay them off. And so my job is to figure out how that's all going to happen and, and when it's going to happen by and what are the processes I need to make that happen. Now, someone else will view that as an inefficient use of capital. I view it as this is my life and that's just so much fun to make happen because once you have no borrowings, you owe nothing to nobody. And I know that's not quite English and it feels brilliant. You know, the only thing you're then indebted for is the council tax. But if you've got tenants, they're paying the council tax. Yes. I think that's a really, really important point. And I think we'll come on to that in a second. I just want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, that you raised £600,000 in 14 weeks. weeks. That's amazing. Do you want to... Could you expand on that, Susanna? Yeah, sure. And and the 200 deals and (laughs) that is so amazing. So the the money, I ended up raising millions, but I only ever raised a million quid cash that I was liable for at any one point because I always think that someone else's money is a lot more important than your own. Mm -hmm. You kind of got to treat it like, you know, it's a glass slipper that could shatter. You know, you've got to treat it very carefully. So I could have raised millions, but then what if I'd gone, you know, what if I topple over? If you raise millions and millions at the same time, you haven't got a hope in paying that back. Whereas it would have been awful if I'd toppled owing a million, but you could have slogged away for many, many years and paid it off through jobs, couldn't you? Yeah. You know, small amount every year. So I, my policy was... I will do a num- uh, I will raise private finance and um, here's the maths. It's five to nine touch points one in uh, before an investor will agree to work with you and that's just human beings creating trust. I always viewed it was my responsibility to tell them everything. So when I was still working full time, I would give them pay slips. Later on, I'd give them my profit and loss. I'd give them my balance sheet. I'd give them the breakdown of my properties and my, my mortgage position. I would, you know, I would really tell them the good, the bad and the ugly so that they had the choice at that point to invest, but there was nothing hidden from, like nothing hidden from them at all so that then they could make a decision to invest with all the knowledge. And I know it sounds, I wasn't watching my back, but it also divests me of further responsibility for the choice because I hadn't, you know, I'd been so open that you had then appreciated that it was a risky choice Mm -hmm. to invest money, but you'd taken it with 100% knowledge and therefore you own that decision, not me. Mm. Um, Even though I own the responsibility to pay you your money back and your interest. Um, So I kind of saw as a, I don't want to use the word moral because that sounds like I'm trying to put myself on a high horse, but I kind of saw the only way you can enable an investor to invest is if you tell them everything, they make their firm decision and then that's their own decision to have done that. You know, whereas if you hide something, that's just really naughty. So I would uh, borrow money, pay people a private interest, and then I would also do joint ventures, which is basically, say it was you and I, Sunil, uh, you would put the money in, you would own the property, I would do all the work, I would find the property, I would uh, get the property ready for sale, and then the property would be sold and we'd split the profit 50-50. So I put sweat equity in, you put cash in. Mm. You did no work, got paid, lovely. I did all the work and got paid, but put no cash in, lovely. So a real win-win situation almost all the time. You know, a couple didn't go well, but it's going to happen. But the majority went really well. Mm. Um, but on average, an investor will give you 50 grand. And then my other rule was I never took all their money. 
because again, I was just conscious I did represent a risk. So, you know, I had a, a girl, Ruth, her name was come to me and say, look, I've got a hundred thousand pounds from my grandmother's inheritance. And as much as I was desperate for the hundred grand, if I had lost her grandmother's inheritance, that is just too much to be on me. So I was, I was like, look, I only ever take 20% of what somebody's got. And then we test the relationship. So I only took 20 grand on the first year because the, the, the duty to not lose a grandmother's inheritance, I think was too strong, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and I, so although it's super annoying and frustrating for you, it does two things. It, it reinforces trust for you and your investor. So they trust you more because you're not grabbing, but also it forces you, even though you're annoyed with yourself to go and find more investors because you're not just relying on one or two. Mm. So that means you've got a wider set of relationships so that later on you can grow quicker. But it also means that, you know, investors, you know, can occasionally be a bit annoying. So any investor decided to behave like a prima donna, you know, very quite tantrum and quite demanding, you can very gently ease them out of your system because you've got plenty of the people to work with. Because, you know, one, one or two percent of investors are very frustrating. Ninety eight percent are lovely. Yeah, I think that's a really good what you're sharing. That you have a system and that you've found investors and that you won't take all of their money. Uh, yeah. And that you will always try and protect them and you'll be transparent, which is, which, yes. is, which is great because I think in some businesses it's lacking. But yes, if you've told them everything, the responsibility, they're educated and they've made a decision then to invest. Yeah. So where do we find such lovely people that you're describing? Because I think that's one of the challenges is that we it all is. want these uh, lovely people. Yeah. They are everywhere, genuinely. So I've prepared a few tips later on for you guys if you want them. But one of them was to take yourself seriously, you, you know, and it does help with imposter syndrome. If you take what you're doing seriously and you almost take it as it, the job is telling me to do this, not I'm telling myself to do this. So I would always have a brochure. And um, so I stood out because I had a professional, nicely designed brochure, mm-hmm. um, which just meant that I was a little bit step ahead of other people who are just like, hi, do you want to lend me money? Whereas I had a prepared brochure that, that it, it, it didn't mean that it convinced people to borrow, to lend me money. It just convinced people that I was taking it seriously. I always had legal agreements in advance so they could see what the legal agreements would look like. Again, it wouldn't convince somebody, but it just added to the impression that this was a serious, a serious focus for me that, you know, it was professionally done as to my, my best ability, but literally one in 20 people that you meet will have money. So I tended to find these people at property events, but I did also find my first, uh, first potential investor. And I made a huge mistake on jury service. Oh, really? Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was <laughs> a former Yeah, yeah. We were on two. I was I was on three juries over a decade ago, and he and I were on two. So we figured out we could work together. Mm. I was the one go, but here's the detail. Here's the detail. I took these notes. This is what people said. And then he was a former pub landlord. So he really knew how to handle people, you know, in a, in a kind of convivial manner that got them to get to where he wanted them to get to. So we just worked together as a team. Like, I was a little terrier going, but what about this fact? What about that? And he was just like, hey, people in his warm way. But I didn't take the guy's phone number. 
we just assumed we'd keep meeting. And of course, you can't tell how long a jury is going to be before it deliberates and then finds guilty or not guilty. Mm. And we, we got, by the way, we got the outcome we thoroughly believed was the truth. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. And so he'd, he'd, he and I were talking in the downtime. He was saying, what, what do you do? And, you know, and that's a really um, interesting question because somebody could be interested. And I said, I do property. I make money with my money and other people's money. You know, I've just bought this house. It was 85,000, eight grand renovation. It's now worth 130, but I knew it was 130 before I did it up because I really take care. I do about 45 pieces of research before I buy a property. And he was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And when somebody is giving you what you might term in, in sort of, I don't know, sales language, but buying signals, you know, they're interested. Yeah. So we literally had a whole conversation, you know, over a couple, space of a couple of days. And he said, I'm going to give you 35 grand. And I was like, fabulous. And by the time somebody names a figure, they're definitely in. Mm. And then we were separated for our third jury. So we were in separate rooms, separate hallways, didn't see each other again. And I, afterwards, I went back to the jury service, the, 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 the court, and I said, I was on a jury with this guy. This was his first name. Could I have his contact details? And you cannot get jury service contact details. Because, of course, somebody might want to attack us for, you know, maybe putting a criminal in jail, begging them, going, no, we were going to do some business together. So my first mistake was not to take his contact details. So now when I meet somebody, I, so he missed out on being the very first investor. He'd have made himself a fortune if he'd worked with me over a decade because we never saw each other again. Because wow. I didn't know anything more about him apart from his name. Hmm. And, and that he said he put 35 grand in and he didn't know anything more about me. Hmm. So I, the minute I meet somebody, I take their contact details. People think the business is done in the room and it's not. The business is done with follow-up, um, five to nine touch points before somebody's going to decide to uh, agree to work with you. So people go to property events or they now do Zoom um, and then they just go, great, I met you. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to put these people on a list and you have to follow everyone up and you must make no judgments. The real scuff, scruffy person in the corner might be the multimillionaire, you know? So you have to follow up with everybody and you'll f end up with the good ones. Mm. But if you don't follow up with everybody, you've gone and missed some of the crackers mm. because you thought you were doing business in the room. But it's all the all the, all the business is done with follow up, all of it. Amazing. You've mentioned a number of times about touch points. Yeah. Um, did you want to sort of explain to our our listeners what you mean by touch points and how your touch points happen, especially yeah. in, in the new world that we all live in now? I know. I know. And how you would do it now. Well, I just think all of your listeners need to turn themselves into Queen Bee, uh, into Beyonce and think if you liked it, you should have put a ring in it. That's what <laughs> makes me Google every time I think about touch points. So you and I, Sunil, are having a touch point. We both agreed to meet at this time to have a good time doing this podcast. Mm. So it was important for me. It's important for you. It's in our diaries. It's our number one priority. Mm -hmm. So a touch point is not a text or an email because one person's happy to send it. The other person doesn't even know they were going to get it. Mm. There was no commitment. There was no ring on it. No. Both parties have to put a ring on it, don't they? they? They have to say, this is so important. It's going to be the number one thing I'm going to do at this time. Mm. So it's about agreed meetups, whether it's an agreed phone call or an agreed these days Zoom coffee or a real coffee or an agreed lunch or a, an agreed Zoom lunch, you know. Mm -hmm. It's about both parties agreeing to commit to spending some time together to discuss the agenda. Oh, the other thing that people do is they, they, they call the person and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm having all these great cut touch points. But at no point does the other person even know what the call's about. No. So let's say 
they say, Suno, you're like, Suze, I've got a hundred grand to spend. I'm like, great. First go, Suno, I would only ever work with 20 as frustrating it is to both of us because we've got to make sure the relationship, mm-hmm. we'll have a little chit chat. We'll, I'll tell you briefly what I do. I'll listen to what you want to achieve because that's really important. And then I'll say, hey, shall we have another conversation? But it won't be like, hey, Suno, should we just have another conversation because you're a lovely guy? Although I might do that as because it's fun, I'll be like, Suno, you know, maybe we'll have two, maybe we'll have one conversation because we like each other. We want to talk about property, but can we have a conversation where we specifically talk about you learning more about uh, being an investor working with me and the different routes to that? Uh So you can either then say, Suze, do you know, I've got no interest in doing that. And that's totally okay. Uh Or you can say, you know what? I am interested. So I'm not going to commit at this stage, but I'd like to have another conversation about that particular topic. So now you understand the agenda of the touch point. And, and when people are new, they get scared to set an agenda, but don't because otherwise you're wasting your time. You're wasting the person's time because they're like, golly, she just ambushed me pitching for money. And I didn't know it was about that. Hmm. Whereas if you can respectfully agree that that's what the conversation is going to be about, then nobody's surprised. No. That's amazing. That you know, I think you're very upfront with people, aren't you? And yeah. uh, very transparent in terms of trying to make sure that everybody understands what the goal is. Yeah. So you've talked about the money and finding the people with money and how the fortune and the, is in the follow up and in keeping in in contact with people. It is. On the other side, what about the deals? People say there's not, uh-huh. there's not deals out there. There's not enough money in the deals. Uh, oh, there is, there is, there is. There, there just is, there just is. Well, years ago when I started in Bristol, everybody, and I mean everybody, said to me, you cannot find deals. In, you know how everybody mm. says you can't find deals in London? Yeah. They all said you can't find deals in Bristol. So, you know, it's a wealthy city. There are lots of people who want to buy property. There's loads of investors. You'll never get a deal. Mm. Well, all you have to say to me, Swinnell, is you can't do that. And I'm like, watch me. <laughs> you know, it's just a button I happen to have. So again, it's just math. So, you, you know, referring back to the kitchen table, we did half of our deals when we were literally still working off the kitchen table and the dining room table in my house. Mm. Um, and embarrassingly, especially now in the age of social media, I didn't have a website until I'd done 22 and a half million quid's worth of source deals. And my Gmail account was the good property company at gmail.com. I mean, if you email us now, it'll still get through to our new Gmail, but oh my God. I mean, you know, how, how embarrassing. Mm. So I think what I'm saying is don't worry about being perfect. No. Just start mm-hmm. and it'll happen. But you know, maybe, maybe speed up your website faster than what I did. Mm. Um, so we sourced from four routes, from direct from estate agents, uh, from auctions, which is my favorite way to buy, pre, during and post, from uh, vendors and from direct from house. And the two majority routes are auctions and estate agents. And luckily they're free. We used to spend about £4,000 a month on leaflets. So it's about 50 grand a year. Mm-hmm. So you only want to do that if you're really you know, bringing in high high numbers. And then we also, so that's direct event, director house, sorry. We did it, but the, re, the return isn't that great, but the deals are amazing when you do find them. But often the circumstances are dreadfully sad. Mm. And I, I just, 
I just found it too sad to, to, to want to be in that space. And then the other direct to vendor, we still do it now. We still have people take phone numbers where private landlords are, are uh, advertising. And then we'll simply approach those landlords on a regular basis and say, look, we're, you know, if you're interested in, in selling, we're interested in buying them. We talk about the features and benefits. Mm-hmm. But the main, so, so that still happens. And I've got a database of thousands and thousands and thousands of landlords, which is quite a, valuable database isn't it it is yeah but the main route is direct from estate agent and direct from auctions Mm. so auctions people don't always realize that you can put an offer in Mm pre-auction so they wait to go to auction no 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 unless there's a reason Mm. to not offer which is only if it's a council or a housing association because they have to be seen to go to the room Mm. put an offer in even if they say they don't want to get an offer before still put it in yeah so could you tell us about one of your success stories at buying prop prior to auction or prior to the auction day? Yes. Yes, that, yes, is, yes. You know, you're absolutely right. People think they have to wait until the auction day. Yeah. You just don't. No. Now, I forget the exact numbers now, so do forgive me. No, I haven't okay. got them in front of me, but I, if I can, I, I, I'm like 99% sure these are the numbers. But Ellsworth Road, I think I bought for something, it was pre, it was a really lovely lady. Her mum lived close and there was her mum's house and she was going into home to be looked after. And she just really wanted to know how much money she had for looking after mum. Mm. She was a really lovely lady. Pre, and I think from memory, I bought it for 105 and it was about a 20, I did it as a flip. We renovated it and we sold it for 155 wow. and sold it first weekend. I, I, uh, sorry, we put it on the market at 155 and sold it for 150. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. I actually was quite happy to sell it at 145, but I just tried it for 155 for fun just for a week or two. And then I was happy to drop it and I made 27 profit, which is quite nice because it was kind of a sort of six to seven week renovation fast in fast out make it lovely again and put it back on the market Mm. and that was pre post we bought berry lane we actually did this for a client in the deal packaging business Mm -hmm. and and it had not sold at auction so watch out for group think i call it pub talk but it hadn't sold at auction twice. So everybody sat there going, oh, you know, yeah. you know, rubbing their chin, you know, as if everybody had beards. Oh, no, rubbing your beard. <laughs> oh, there's something wrong with that one. Mm. There was nothing wrong with it. It's just once it had sold, failed to sell twice, you know, it was tainted. Mm. But there was nothing wrong with it. No. We got the legal pack done. And there was a £140,000 difference between what we got it for and what Handel's Banking, very respected uh, yes. bank that property investors use a lot, valued it for a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even have to employ a cleaner. Wow. And all it was, was I don't really indulge in a lot of group things. Mm-hmm. So if you say you can't or there's something wrong with it, I'll go prove it. Yeah. You know, show me. If you can evidence what's wrong with it, mm. I get it. But until we can figure out what the evidence is, I'm going to look at it with neutral eyes. Mm. So that's pre and post. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So one of the other things that I was really interested in, because I'm a buy buy and hold investor, I have been for 30 yeah. years. So Good. I don't sell properties. And that's a that's a difficult statement having an estate yes. agency as well. Yes. Because we have an estate agency called Family Homes. Now we do sell properties for other people, but in, in the yes. beginning when I used to go out and see 
see clients, it was very much, well, is this the right thing for you to do to sell it? Maybe keep it. Wow. And, you know, they come back and they say, I've kept it for a couple of years now, but because you gave me the right advice at the time, you know, it's increased by another 30 grand and now it's not a time to sell it. Um, Brilliant. But you're in your, you do flips, don't you? But with the long term yes. aim of creating assets as well. Oh, 100%. I like you and built that way. And I really like the name of your stage as well because it tells you everything. It tells you so much about you, doesn't mm. it? Like, but so the only, I mean, I love doing flips for the creativity, but the only reason I do them is to reinvest the money straight back in the portfolio to either to, to buy more or to pay down. Mm-hmm. So I love doing flips. But it's a growth mechanism, which is purely to buy more. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with this concept, though. I think what you're, <laughs> what you're doing is amazing, but I, I do struggle with it because I'm thinking, okay, I, I brought that property. Yeah. I paid the stamp duty. Yeah. I paid the legal costs and yeah. I'll just hold it. So uh, without uh, um, wanting to ever expose you, do, do you ever run out of money? I've got very good at borrowing money because okay. the, the equity's there. And like you, I've, I've, I've paid back some some of the equity in the property, not the equity, the debt. Yes, good for to you. To increase the equity. So, yes, we, we all run out of money. So, so that's a sort of yes, but qualified because you're a good financial manager. So maybe the other question is, have you ever felt that you could have gone faster and are frustrated by growth yes definitely but then right, I, well that's where flips might help possibly yeah but then on the other side i see the security of you know the the wealth that's been created already yes and so that's what i was interested in because you you do flips as well as buy and hold so yeah is that your main, is, is the flip strategy just for growth? Yeah, purely for growth or, so I think there are three stages. There's the acquisition stage where we all kind of just stretch ourselves as lean as an elastic band. Mm-hmm. And then there's the consolidation stage where we paid, we pay down. And then there's the third stage, which is the portfolio is debt free and we buy for cash with monthly revenue from the tenancies. And I see it as clear as day. And it's also quite exciting because it means I haven't reached the end of the journey because I'm only halfway through. Mm-hmm. I'm on the pay down stage and I'm kind of halfway through that. Mm-hmm. So to, to my mind, it's like there's a three step program and I'm what step one and a half in. And mm-hmm. um, so this month I'm flipping something. It's all agreed. Now it might fall out of bed, but they're literally 10 days away from exchange and then 17 days away from completion. And after all tax, uh, I'll make 80 grand. Excellent. And on this particular case, I'm putting it into, I've got a, oh, my next property. My next property I want to pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mortgage currently is £102,572. Wow. So after all tax, and I'm paying quite a lot of cap tax, um, I'm only 22000 away from entirely paying that off. So that'll just be paid off very quickly after that. Mm. So I, like you, you know, find it, I find it difficult to flip because I want to keep everything. But I've set myself, I've said to myself, sweetheart, you're in the middle stage. You've done this brilliant growth. Congratulations. Well done, kids. You know, well done. Mm-hmm. But you're in a consolidation stage. So write your business plan, have clarity of where you want to be and ensure that your activities 
deliver to that plan, which is paying down those houses like they're dominoes, you know, and you want to be like boom, 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 boom. Because of course, every time you pay something off, all the profit for those houses, I mean, you can go spend it and it's great fun, but it just brings in more money. So then you can pay off the next one even quicker. If I thought that this was the end goal, I would really struggle to flip. But because I'm like, honey, hang in there, because I have such a physical visualization of what my third stage, which is I am going to auction with cash on a monthly basis to buy houses for cash with the profit I make from my property portfolio. So I guess I guess I'm kind of um, consoling my little two-year-old that's going, that's my toy. I don't want to give my toy up by going, you're going to get a better one later. <laughs> and so I think if I didn't have this third stage ahead of me going, I know I'm going to buy more assets. I know I'm going to buy them cash. And I know I'm going to feel as secure as like, you know, anything, I would probably find it more difficult to flip. Same. So I'm I'm contributing to a process that ends up with me going to auction, buying for cash and having a load of fun doing it. So that is such an inspirational um, story. And I think that's such an inspirational goal. I'd really be interested because your vision is so clear there. How did you get your vision so clear? Because you just know, I just want cash to go and play the game. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The vision isn't just like if it was just pay down, I would, oh, oh, I just wouldn't do it, you know, because I want to keep it all. But the vision is cash the vision well i think there's two things i am entirely and massively grateful for banks that do buy to let so please any of the banks listening or you know anybody thinking bank you know won't go get lending i could not have achieved this without banks as you say you're very good at, at funding so some of it will be bridging will be uh, mortgages so well done you know Thanks. so i'm so grateful they exist mm. however or and I still, I'm, we are still in the rat race when we owe money. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't want to be in a rat race in the long run. I don't want to have a banker telling me X, Y, Z. I don't want the dreadful saying about banks is they give you an umbrella when the sun's shining and they take it away when it rains. Mm. And I've seen it happen to others. I've had it once happen to, to me uh, when I was just about to buy my office, my bank of 10 years, four days before I was buying the office at golly, 60% loan to value. So pretty damn safe. Mm. And they'd seen my books for 10 years when, oh, we've changed our strategy. We're not funding property investors. What? Mm. <laughs> I got four days, guys. I've got wow. a written contract with you. So I just like to plow my own furrow. I think there's that independent streak is so strong that I don't believe, I, be, I believe these institutions who make money for themselves mm. are marvelous that they exist because it's the only way we can get there but they're a ladder that you need to get off eventually mm -hmm. you can't keep climbing on them mm. in my opinion or, or they doesn't fit for me no mm. so i can't wait to stick it to the man <laughs> and, and, and how close are you to that going and playing you know just i'm probably about three years away annoyingly because it'd be really but then but i'm also hitting a big birthday this year i've just bought myself a lovely beach apartment in barcelona which is just about finished being renovated and mm -hmm. um, so i'm going to spend half my life in barcelona now where my son lives and half my life in bristol where my daughter lives which is quite nice so lucky kids <laughs> hi mom <laughs> and um so i also have introduced some toys now as well you know some real life important life changes mm. so i'll be taking a sabbatical and but i'm quite strongly on on my way and i'm darn determined so it's gonna happen yes 
on your your day to day Yes. The one thing I do know about you is that you worked really hard and that you're up at five in the morning and that you work really late. <laughs> so what's what's that drive? And, you know, you've, you've created so much already. So, yeah. But that drive still continues. So what what is that drive? And could you tell tell us about your daily routine? Yeah, I, I genuinely enjoy it. But, but um, under normal circumstances, not lockdown, I plan my year in September for the following year. And I work 183 days, quite precise. Mm. And I'm on holiday or with people I love 182 days a year. So I literally am a, I work part part time. Mm -hmm. And I know when all my holidays are scheduled. I know, you know, my parents are in their 70s. We normally see each other every six weeks for like a city break in between Glasgow and Bristol, or I go up there or my mum comes down here. My dad's more likely to stay up in Glasgow. But so it is balanced, but not in a kind of day-to-day balance where I do eight hours a day. Mm. You know, it's it's balanced over the year. Mm. And then I'll, I'll really, you know, really regularly take holidays and go like six weeks away and stuff. And now, of course, half the year in Barcelona. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're quite right, Sunil. I bounce out of bed and I can't wait. I just love it. <laughs> I find property intriguing and interesting and frustrating and creative and satisfying and, and annoying. Mm. <laughs> you, you know, where you're just like, oh, let's fix this. Let's make it good. Yeah. Um, and I find, I find, you know, I do a lot of online education. We have a super mention group. I have the online, the, 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 we've got a million views on our YouTube so I find it all quite interesting and stimulating. And generally the people you meet through property are, ge- you know, it's one or two, but generally they're fabulous. Mm. So I think I'm engaged with it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that drive to get better. Yes. You know, I don't, I didn't go, right, I've got a property portfolio, multi-millionaire, yeah. It's like, no, we can make this even better. Yeah. You know, not necessarily bigger, mm. although it will be, but like more, m- more more my own, mm-hmm. you, you know, I've never, I've never been into profit. Uh, sorry. I've never been, I think turnover is ego and profit is, is King, mm-hmm. which is what the saying is, mm-hmm. but size of portfolio. And I've got a pretty decent sized one. Size of portfolio still is ego. It's about asset value. Uh, how much of the asset do you own um, and profitability? So it's about the inner stuff, not the external showmanship stuff mm-hmm. that really counts. Mm-hmm. So what does your day look like? What's your day habits, uh, please? Because I think some people may be able to take something from that and think, well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try that. Um, Yeah. Uh, One of the most important habits I have is I have a gratitude diary and I write down um, uh, three things I'm grateful every day, at least three, normally three. Occasionally squeeze in four or five. So uh, I put the day date, and I've been doing it for years. Day date today. Uh, I am grateful for one, two, three. And mm-hmm. um, often there's lots. Some days you just sat there going, <laughs> "Got to squeeze this one out a little bit." And you might just be like, "I'm grateful. I'm having a cup of tea yeah. or something really small." But and what it does, it enables you to focus on the positives, not the negatives. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you can imagine the grit in. Well, you you will know yourself running an estate agency, working with people, having a large portfolio. There's grit involved at all times, isn't there? Like, oh, that's frustrating. Mm. So a gratitude diary, it helps you focus on the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, I'll exercise really regularly. I, I'm just recovering from a little up, but normally I'll do a l- a, quite a significant amount of exercise because I think it puts you in the right frame of mind. In fact, before I came on to chat to you, I went for a lovely socially distance walk with a friend of mine and her dog. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel good. 
So I think it's, and sleep is really important. I always wake up at night. I have done since the kids were little. I'm sure it's just a protection thing. So, you know, I'll accommodate that by making sure I have enough time in bed to at least hit eight hours sleep. And I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and read a Kindle and then go back to sleep. So I don't worry about those two halves. Mm. So sleep is important. Grateful diary is important. Exercise is important. And okay, probably like most of Britain, I've got a little visitor in the shape of a little tummy because of lockdown, but relatively good food is also really important to me. So I get mindful chef delivered All right. and good quality food. And then the other things I try and do is I try and, like I said, I try and schedule the importance in life. Mm-hmm. So from September for the following year, I'll schedule my holidays, my times with my family, when we're going to go and visit each other and spend a weekend together. Mm-hmm. Because of course it gets squeezed out so quickly, doesn't it? Especially yeah. when you're busy. Oh my goodness, I've got so many things to do. Mm. And then obviously scheduling friendships. Mm. But then then what happens is I try and write a list the night before of three things. Mm-hmm. Two of those things have to be important. They're things that move my business forward. They're not things anyone's going to shout at me for. Mm. So it could be going out finding investors. No one's going to shout at you sooner to find a new investor. Mm. But in six months' time, when you find a deal and you haven't got the investor, you're going to now shout at yourself. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's what are these two things that will move my business forward? Mm. And then there'll only be one thing that is a firefighting thing. Mm. Now, that's difficult to manage in the early days because you're firefighting everything because the whole thing's like a massive washing machine of chaos. But you are not moving your business forwards unless you focus. Mm. And those things come from my business plan, which is written, which is visual on a board that I pass every single day going between my dining room and my kitchen. Mm -hmm. I can't ignore it. It's really annoying. That's (laughs) amazing. So for, for, for somebody, let's say, starting out, what three tips would you give and say, look, you know, or three beliefs or three indicators or whatever you wish to call them. (laughs) Yeah. I think top tips for me, for you guys is to take it seriously, because I think we all get imposter syndrome. Somebody that came on my masterclass last night and joined my academy. Oh, it was so lovely. He just said, I'm a mature man and I I get imposter syndrome a lot. And I thought everybody does. Mm. So if you take it seriously, the thing you're going to do rather than it's me doing it. Who do I think I am? It really helps with imposter syndrome because then you're going to write a business plan. You're like, oh, I have to do this. The plan tells me. It's not me. Mm. The plan. Um, You're going to produce brochures for your investors. You're going to produce legal docs for your investors. You're going to produce a cash, a a written business plan for your business. You're probably going to produce a cash flow prediction because property investors tend to go bust because of lack of cash, not because of profitable projects. So Mm. it's kind of tip one is take it seriously, which will allow you as you develop up this professional business plan, brochures, legal documents, you know, compliance, member of the ombudsman, it allows you to realize that you're serious. Mm. So it will help your confidence. Second one is, I think we just mentioned it, keep your goals visible. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. There'll be moments where you, you just want to like growl at them because nothing's going right. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there'll be other moments you go, Oh goodness, how did that happen? Mm. Without even appreciating it, we're closer to this goal now. So write them down and put them in a space that's really visible. Mm. And and then the, the the third one I think is about accountability. We are social creatures, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you like community very clearly. Mm. Um, so have accountability in your life, whether it's formal, 
So, so my me- I'm going on a sabbatical. So this is not the sort of naughty way of introducing my mentoring program. My mentoring program is totally sold out and is going on a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sort of trying to say, hey, guys, but whether it's formal through a mentor or through a group you're part of or you've got a coach or it's your friends or it's your peers in the industry, Hmm. have some kind of accountability mechanism with like-minded people who understand that what you want to achieve is achievable. So not somebody who's going to hold you back because they're worried about you, but somebody who knows it can be done. Hmm. And that's really important. So I'd say take it seriously, have your goals visible and have an accountability mechanism, whether it's formal or informal, paid or unpaid, with people who know this is possible. Mm. That's amazing. And I hear from what you're like talking today and that your big passion is about education, isn't it? About helping others to create what you've created already. Yes. Um, so how does that work? You know, how much time do you spend there? And how can somebody, I suppose, not have to create everything that you've created, but actually yeah. tap into the system? Yeah. And and that's one of my sort of logical things. Like, you know, just it's like, here's a briefcase, you know, just pick it. It's like, it's like two spies, isn't it? Meeting in, meeting in a park yeah. with a newspaper. Here's my briefcase. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Yeah. Um, you know, here's the secrets. Well, um, I'm half and half, half of my property portfolio and half an education. And I kind of split my day that way. Morning, it's the portfolio. Afternoons, it's education when I'm working. And I enjoy it. Mm. And as I, as the years have progressed, you know, years ago, we started a YouTube channel. We've had over a million views. Mm-hmm. So it's the good property company if people want to go and have a look at it. And there's over a thousand videos, really useful, divided into playlists. I've always enjoyed giving people knowledge and information because I'm so passionate that property is something that most people should be able to achieve if they know what to do. Yes. I've also not, and again, I don't like to be a a negative Nelly, so I don't tend to be, but you know, there are some people who produce education that wouldn't pass standards. Should we just say that? Mm. And and so I've always been very interested in giving a lot of information and knowledge to people, both on the free as well as the paid for, that are really, really high quality. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in making it as useful as possible mm-hmm. and thinking about the person's learning. So we always think about um, people are visual learners. Are they audio learners? Are they uh, teamwork learners? How do you pass that? And how do you not just go, here's the information, but how does that person receive the information that gives them the best coaching cues that allows them to be successful? And what is your goal for them? And for me, when I write education, it's always six-figure income and financial freedom, which is, for me, time and money freedom for people. So over the years, we've moved it more and more. And of course, during lockdown, my goodness, did we work hard. Um, we already had an online business, but we I was just like, we, we're going to upgrade this. Mm. We're just going to make this like next level. So it was really fun to spend a lot of time really making a fantastic online education business. So so these days I have academies, I have individual packs, I have workshops, masterclasses, quite a lot of free stuff that people can download as well. Mm-hmm. But they are always, there's always more to the education than people expect, which is great. I, I'd always want to over-deliver, not under-deliver. Mm. Um, but I'm also um, the, the child of educators and the grandchild of educators so that environment i've been around all my whole life so you know i'm not sat there going oh i can make a quick buck it's like no i'm gonna make this really good yeah so that somebody can and it's sort of 
I'm sorry, I'm, I'm quite chatty. No, no, please. Everyone's listening going, Sunil 5%, Susanna's 95%. I do realise that it's two years, one mouse, Sue, so I, I, do, I do hear that. No, no, no. It's, we, I think we could talk for hours, honestly, because there's so much, yeah. you know, in everything that you're saying, there's so much value. Uh, mm. And, you, you've, you know, you've made the good link there that a lot of people are going into the education field now because they see the lockdown has come and it's an opportunity but yeah. This has been your background coming from, you know, academic parents and you see the value of education uh, and you're passionate about wealth, uh, about creating yes. income, about giving people freedom. And, you know, you're, you're just, I suppose, sharing what is so important to yourself. So and, and what you've been through yeah. and what's, what it's done for you. So, yeah, yeah it's brilliant. I- as I think about it more and more, I mean, I'm not terribly introspective, but I do know that I'm trying to create the best I possibly can for people. Mm. But I do know that one of those people I'm trying to create it for, and this is the classic, you know, inner child work, is literally my quite vulnerable younger self who had two small children. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't sort of um, talk about this in any great shake anywhere because I think that terrible selling technique of people tell you when how terrible their life was and then they were saved by properties just ugh. but we were what they call we had fuel poverty so i could put food on the table but there was one year i had the choice of uh, do i pay for heating or do, and go into debt or do i not and of course i'm not a debt girl unless it's good debt mm-hmm. good debt means buy assets pay bills mm-hmm. so we had this sort of very enjoyable, but still enormously scary for the, the small, young, grown-up mum who's still really a bit of a child, where the children and I, with my very old car, used to go and collect logs from the forest. Mm. And then I used to chop them in front of our cottage. So all of it was very Id- idyllic, but you're, you literally will not be warm if mum doesn't collect logs and chops it. So, you know, it's a bit 19th century and it's very, very borderline in terms of poverty. And it's very scary if you're the young mum. Mm. So I am conscious of that young woman mm. and what property gave her in the t- kind of changes as well as growth, as well as growing up and developing. Mm. Um, so I'm very conscious that there will be other people not maybe chopping woods but in similar scenarios so I never price my stuff too high I there are you know I price it accordingly to its value of course I do but I also give enough free that that young human whoever it is man or woman in the same scenario 20 years later could get value from me without needing to pay mm. they just got a bit of little work in pulling all the information together mm. So I, I am aware that I am trying to gently educate that young girl as well as others. That's an amazing drive that you have there to, to give what you've experienced yourself. Uh, mm. So it's like talking to your younger self, but it's also helping other people at the same time. Yeah, so. it's not a saviour thing. It's just knowing through a couple of changes in your life, you can end up in a very difficult situation. Mm. And at that point help makes like a you know like a 180 degree difference mm. whereas later on help will maybe make a 10 percent difference mm. you know so so it'd be nice to you know it's just fun to yeah it's just fun but it's good fun too it's good fun Absolutely. to create it so people can find you at the good property company by googling that or going onto youtube and yeah lots of lots of information 
Yeah, the website, the goodpropertycompany.co.uk, mm-hmm. um, has got lots on it, mm-hmm. uh, and we're still we're we're working on some new stuff at the moment. But I've got eight free checklists. I've got a free one hundred and one lessons packs. There's you know some it, there's lots of good quality downloads people can get, and then there's lots of great education. And the other one, yeah, the Good Property Company slash Susanna Cole on YouTube. And uh, get stuck in with some popcorn. There's loads of videos. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, I downloaded one of the 101 tips and it's amazing content because you're you're expecting, you know, three pages and, you know, I think 30 pages later, you know, I've got so much content that you give for free and it's, it's amazing. It just shows what a giver you are. Good. So... In closing, is there a quote or something that you use all the time, like a mantra or? I think when we're buzzing and uh, I don't mean high, but, you know, like high on life and excited, Mm. we don't need to. But for me, it's the moments where it's difficult. And and Nancy, who comes to look after my house, she says that she can. She's downstairs at the moment, actually. Mm -hmm. She says that she can hear me saying this. Um, Because we've known each other for 14 years, you know, it's a family relationship now. She says that she can hear hear me saying this sometimes, you know, come on. Nancy's uh, Jamaican. She has, I'm so proud of her. She's bought, she's got children in Jamaica. She's bought herself two houses in Jamaica, you know, good woman. And, you know, life is not easy sometimes for somebody like Nancy. And as a property developer, life is not easy sometimes. So she says she can hear me saying like, come on, girl. You can do it, girl. Come on, girl. And that's because she's been around my home at times when I may not appreciate she's listening. Yeah. And she can hear me going, come on, girl. You've got this. Come on, let's go. So so it's that self-talk yeah. where you would really rather give up and you would really rather go under the duvet. Hmm. And you're like, come on, keep going. Just keep going. Come on, you've got this. Hmm. I think that's quite a good piece of self-talk just to like, come on, let's just do it. Come on, let's put another hour in. Let's put another hour in. And then you start to lift yourself again. Yeah, that is, that is such a gift. So thank you for that. Because I think so many people are looking for the next thing that's coming along or looking mm. for something that will change their life. But the self-talk is so important, isn't it? Giving giving yourself yeah. the right messages and just being motivated to do the basics. Yes, Yes. It's if you put the consistent effort in, in the right areas, it will work. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can't go from A to Z without going through all the letters of the alphabet, can you? No. And some of them are going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> can I avoid this? Mm. No. <laughs> so just keep keep moving. Mm. Keep going. Mm. You know, come on, girl. Or if you're a guy, tell yourself that. Yes. Well, Susanna, I just want to say thank you so, so much for sparing some time to to talk this morning and to share so many great tips and so much inspiration. I'm sure this is not the last time that we'll have communication and some... um, I'd love that. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to, as a parting gift to our listeners before we sort of close? Is there any words of wisdom or... I don't know if it's wisdom. I first say thank you to you and thank you for your calm and your gentleness and your observing and your kindness to fold things back. I quite agree with you in the long run. Be a keeper. You know, that's and that's where your family's safety is, mm. isn't it? Um, so I, th- I think it's just the kind of and these are classic words, but but. Somebody listening, you you can absolutely do this. Uh You you know, don't jump in blindly and naively and sort of vulnerably and and grab the next shiny penny. 
just go for the principles of I, uh, if Susanna can do it, she's five foot two, you know, head of household. If she can do it from a kitchen table and, and get through the tough times as well as the enjoy the good times, then so can I, you know, mm. whatever my situation is. Mm. And it's, then it's kind of set out a plan, you, you know, have your goals visible, have some people around you for whom this is fairly normal and realize that this is a possibility for you. And if you put the consistent effort in you, it will absolutely work for you. But you've got to put the consistent effort in Hmm. and and just kind of you can do it. So get into it, you know, and make that leap. I would hugely encourage the people that uh, find your podcast very useful to do that. Mm, Yes. Thank you so much, because I think although people are starting out, there's also people who have been investing for a long time, like myself, and we still need education. And we still need to look at things. And I think this morning you've certainly helped me because one of the questions I came with this morning was, you know, Suzanne's very successful at flipping properties, but, you know, I've got a mindset that says don't sell anything. And, you know, how does that work? So I think you've really helped me to look at something, you know, sort of my own situation in a different way. I think well so can you can you visualize that you're probably in in the second stage to a degree you know where you are on that second stage you may well be like well ahead of me there but could stage three which is not you know either estate agency or auction going to auction or going to estate agency with pure cash that belongs to you could that be like really fun Oh, definitely. It's a, I think you just give me a vision. And I think, you know, you've given a vision to a lot of our listeners today that it's about playing the game. And people say, you know, you know, people create so much. When would you start? And I think once you get into the property business, once you get into creating wealth, yeah. uh, it's not about the money. And I know it's easier to say that when you have a little bit, but it's about the, the everything else it gives you and what you're able to give back and every day is just as you say going to the auction it's it's just a game isn't it did i did i win it's like the casino i suppose that you get a you get a buzz from it (laughs) you you get a massive buzz when you buy a new property i get a buzz now and i pay them off but i could see instead of having to like you know like we all do wait for funding and pay you know bless them i'm really grateful for them but you know I looked at my uh, profit and loss last year, which was good, but I looked at my profit and loss and I, I counted up just on refinancing alone how much money I spent on fees, on legal fees, let alone interest, which is hundreds of thousands of pounds. Mm. Uh, and I've got stuff paid off. And I just went, I just don't want to do that anymore. You know, no offense to 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 the banks. I'm so grateful for them. But I'm just like that much money. I just don't want to. That's not even interest. No. That, that's just like a fee. Mm. What? Lost it, yeah. What? And I was, I was just determined. You know, I was just back to being 10 and, and determined. Mm. And could, you know, wouldn't it be fun for you to just bring out your cash from your property portfolio that's come in from your rental income because everything's been paid off and, and you just go to auction either pre, during or post, you buy the the building and then you go out for supper to celebrate knowing you've paid 10% and the rest is going to just be transferred from your bank account and it's already in there. Mm. How fun. And then you're going to do that renovation on the fixed price contract with the builder, which is going to pay cash. Now, people will write in and say that's an ineffective use of money and I thoroughly agree, but that's how I want to do it. Yes, there's a strategy for everybody. And I think you set such a vision for our listeners and for me 
And I think the goal for us is that, you know, we'll take everybody on this journey that we can go out and buy auction properties and with our own money and yes. then go and celebrate. So I think that's, yes. a, that's an amazing goal. And mm -hmm. anybody that listening today would like to join us on that journey. Yes. I think, you know, the best thing to do is contact the good property company, register for, for some of the information that is being given for free maybe get some mentoring, maybe join the academy. But whatever you do, I think look after yourselves and create yeah. wealth in terms of health as well as financial wealth. And Susanna, I thank you so, so much for sparing your time today. Thank you. We'll speak very soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gift of Wealth podcast. Stay connected with us directly through www.giftofwealth.co.uk. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email at info at thegiftofwealth.co.uk. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Until next time, stay with a happy heart.